Welcome to F1 Beyond the Grid, where Formula One's fastest stars slow down and open up. You've seen them race, you've seen them on screen, but this is where you truly get to know them. You'll hear untold stories, personal memories and unrivaled insight from the drivers, team bosses and brilliant brains that make Formula One so amazing and fascinating. I'm Tom Clarkson, it's season five, and our first guest of 2022 is Ferrari's Carlos Sainz. My dream in Formula One that is to win first a race, obviously then a championship, but to win a championship, you need to win a race. I will keep chasing that. I'm not saying it will happen, but it's what I wake up every morning or what I go to sleep with in my, my head every day. Is this the year that Carlos Sainz's dreams come true? He could be on the brink of something very special. In 2021, his first season with Ferrari, he outscored his teammate Charles Leclerc and finished a career-best fifth in the Drivers' Championship. He's proved he's among the very best on the grid, and as he says himself, he's ready for more. 2022 is the start of a new era in Formula One, and could it be a new dawn for its most famous team? If Ferrari can rejoin the fight at the front, can Carlos end their long wait for a race win and a world title? We sat down to record this chat during the pre-season test in Bahrain. We were adjacent to the Ferrari garage where the mechanics were getting the car ready for another test run. You'll hear the story of Carlos's unusual negotiations with Ferrari and how a multi-year contract completely changed his approach to racing. He shares the frustration that he still feels about missing out on victory at the 2020 Italian Grand Prix and how he reassured Daniel Ricciardo during the Aussie's struggles at McLaren in 2021. Plus, why he's actually not a smooth operator behind the wheel, the value of an early morning gym session, paddock friendships and his hopes ahead of the 2022 season. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Carlos, welcome back to the show. Uh, you haven't been on since November 2018. November 2018. Yeah. It's been a while. How <laughs> a are lot you? Of, <laughs> a lot of water under the bridge since then. I guess the podcast also has grown a lot since then, no? It has. It has. Yeah. We've got a lot of new fans. But listen, how, how does the 27-year-old Carlos of today compare to the 24-year-old Carlos of 2018? Well, a lot has changed since 2018. I've had uh, two years in McLaren since then um, and a year in Ferrari. And now I'm about to start my second year in Ferrari. So, yeah, actually, my my time in in McLaren was really good fun, as you guys all know. And and now in Ferrari, it's a bit of a new life. But uh, I think I've, yeah, I've grown a lot as a driver, as a person. I've had my my first podiums my life has gone to the better, so I cannot complain at all. You say you've changed and evolved as a driver. How so? Well, um, 2018, I was coming off the back of, um, let's say, not an ideal or a bit of a tough year with Renault. And um, at that point, I was signed by, by McLaren and I probably got my two best years in Formula 1 up to date. Uh, so thanks to those... Two really good years, or let's say a very good 2019. Uh, I got called by by Ferrari, and and I had to leave a team that I really like, like McLaren, and a team that I felt at home with to move to to a team like Ferrari. So uh, yeah, I've just grown in terms of 
getting to know two of the best teams, actually the two best teams in Formula One, and 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 having to experience how different two Formula One teams can be, and and how I need to adapt to completely two different cars, two different cultures. So as a driver, I've gone through a lot in the last, let's say, three years. Can you tell us the story? Because there'll be some people listening who don't know it of the phone call from Ferrari. It all started. Um, I think now I can say uh, at the end of 2019, I had my podium in Brazil, then a great season finale in, in, in Abu Dhabi, where I claimed six in the Drivers' Championship. In Abu Dhabi already, my dad had a quick conversation with Mattia, and, and we started uh, having our first contact. No, Then in 2020, the pandemic arrived, and we were all in our homes, locked up. Um, we're talking now about February, so a couple months later after Abu Dhabi. And um, yeah, all of a sudden, all the negotiations started to take place during COVID lockdown, to the point where when it was time to sign my new contract, uh, I wake up in a, a morning at eight o'clock in, back at home in the middle of lockdown. And, uh, and I go to have some coffee and breakfast and suddenly my dad tells me, let's go, we need to sign a Ferrari contract. And I was still in my pyjamas and, um, and I signed my Ferrari contract in my pyjamas in the middle of a lockdown, pandemic lockdown, which was completely unusual circumstances and uh, very weird, I must say, <laughs> but, uh, but it just felt it wasn't real because at the time I didn't know if we were even going to get back racing. You know, we were in the middle, if you guys remember, March or April, we were full lockdown, like we didn't know if normal life was going to come back. Uh, you're still smiling. That memory still puts a smile on your face, doesn't it? It was an intense period because it's not easy to negotiate and to sign a contract in by... A, it was the time where we all discovered the Zoom calls, you no? Know, and the, we did everything by virtual, you no? Know, and it's the first time I had experience having to have phone calls like that. And it was weird, very weird. But And I still had a full year to do with, with McLaren in 2020. And was it always on your bucket list? Ferrari, that's a team I, I really want to race for. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm Spanish. I live very close to Italy. I feel close to the Italian culture because I I grew up in Italy a lot doing all, all of my go-kart races. And thanks to that, I got to know the history of Ferrari. And everyone who is a big Formula One fan, like, like I've been all my life, knows what Ferrari is. And um, I yeah, can assure Carlos, you. Carlos, you're a man of the world. I think you do the English thing quite well as well. What is the English thing? Well, just you get on well with English people. It's not just I you got know, on your well affinity in McLaren, with. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a really good time in McLaren. Everyone who's been follow, following Formula One for the last three years know that uh, I managed to achieve the best version of myself in McLaren and know that uh, the Carlos that they see today is the Carlos that I managed to grow up into in McLaren. The confidence that McLaren gave me, the support. It was my first two-year deal. And there I did a step as a driver. And the, the driver that you see now in Ferrari, is, a lot of it is thanks to, to the atmosphere and the people and the way I managed to feel in McLaren and the step that I did there as a racing driver. How much difference did the multi-year deal make to you? Because it's something that Valtteri Bottas talked about on this podcast last year, saying... The lure of Alfa Romeo was the multi-year deal, whereas Toto Wolff at Mercedes had been drip-feeding him one-year deals, and he just said he couldn't... He found it so exhausting, he wanted something more. Yeah, I'm glad someone else talks about it, because 
I didn't know it made a difference because I've I've always been one year in in Toroso, another year in Toroso, another year in Toroso, suddenly loan to Renault without knowing if I was going to stay in Renault, go back to Red Bull or go back to Toroso. I don't I didn't know anything and and this uncertainty you don't you never think about it when you are in the in the truck or in the car. But then suddenly I found myself in a two-year deal in, in McLaren and I said I actually feel a lot more relaxed. I can go out there, risk an overtake, and not having to go to bed that day thinking I had contact with this guy. Now my career might depend on making sure that the next race I don't do a mistake again. And that is the mentality, is it? When you're on a one-year... When you're in one-year deal, you know you cannot afford bad momentums. You just need to bounce back immediately. So the next race you have to make sure you don't do a mistake again. But when you are in the, in the mindset of, I cannot do a mistake again, then you're not sure. the same. You're not sure. as aggressive as you were. Yeah. While in not McLaren, as natural, maybe. It's not as natural, maybe. Yeah. I'm trying to brainstorm it. I've gone through this thinking process me, myself to, to see why, but I think it makes a difference. While when you're in a two or three year deal, you do a mistake, you come back next race, you try again, and the overtake works or the, the quality lab works because you are not scared of maybe not finding back that momentum. But uh, maybe it's me opening up a bit too much, but uh, That's I fascinating. think it's, it's, it's the way it works. Carlos, can we talk next about the new cars? How excited are you about the new Formula One? I was excited already before everything started. It's been a, an impatient long winter. But after seeing the cars, I'm even more excited because... I think no one expected to see so many Formula One cars look so different with such a tight regulations package. And then you've seen the Mercedes with the tight side pods. You've seen our, our Ferrari going completely to the other extreme with these massive side pods. You've seen the Red Bull with the undercut, the McLaren with the tight package, the Aston Martin a bit more going in our philosophy. And then you realize it, this is pure Formula One, no? Completely different ideas to probably get to a very similar lap time. And, and I think it's the beauty of Formula One and it's an exciting year that we have ahead. It's kind of peak Formula One, isn't it? I you think give, so. You give the same regs to 10 different design offices and just get this huge variety. I suppose it'll, it will converge, won't it, as we It go. will, but it's also the beauty of Formula One that we all pick the best, yeah. handpick the best bits of every car and we try to put it into a same car. And I guess testing has been a bit different as a result because, yes, you're focusing on yourselves. That's what you do in testing. But the temptation to just glance at whatever anyone else is doing must be there, mustn't it? Of course. And anyone who you talk in the body, we, tell, we try to not look into lap times. We try to <laughs> focus on ourselves. We are all looking into each other and we are all trying to analyze where everyone is. We are all looking at GPS data. We are all looking at sector times, at, at top speeds. And, you know, teams, we're trying to play down a bit where everyone is and, and that we don't care, that we just want to get on with our program. But the reality is we are competitive animals and we, we just want to know as soon as possible where everyone is, just because you're impatient. You, you want to know where you are. And how different is the challenge of driving this year? So the first few laps that I did, they were not actually that different compared to other years' car. Um, the speed 
in the corners feels similar, the weight is a bit higher. But then once I started really pushing it to the limit in the last few days in Barcelona, I, I realized that the last two or three tenths of the car might come from from a bit of a different driving style. And and this is where you need to go back, think about where you can find those last two or three tenths with this car, analyze the data, and maybe you need to change a bit your approach, your driving style, the way you brake, the way you turn in. And then suddenly the last two tenths of the car are in a different place than last year's car. And have you concluded where those areas are, how you're going to extract those last few tenths? I don't think three half days of testing is enough to conclude it. I've had some indications and some ideas. And now in Bahrain, I'm going to continue with that, with those ideas that I had after the test, with those analysis that I, uh, we did as a team and see if there's potential going that direction. And maybe I might get it wrong and I might have to come back to a different direction and try a different one. No, it's, it's the beauty of experimenting a bit with these cars and with the and with your driving and the same applies to to car setup eh? we might go one direction come back try another one come back and see where's the right one i've always felt it's a slightly lazy assumption that drivers can be quick in anything i've always thought that some cars do suit some drivers better than others would you agree with that i think so and i think there's very good examples in the history of formula one where one car can particularly suit one driver and its driving style. I still think the good, the greatest Formula One drivers are the ones who adapt to anything and are fast in anything. But I also find quite interesting how one driver can suddenly extract a hundred, let's say 102% out of a, a car that really suited his style. I think, again, it's the beauty of Formula One and I think it's is, is part of the of the nature of the sport and, and the human side of the driving. I mean, a classic example of this is the McLaren, right? You were very quick in that car in 2020. Daniel Ricciardo gets in it and struggles, openly struggled with it. Yeah, I, I actually remember having a few conversations with Daniel because I did exactly the same step. I came from the Renault, which was, a, let's say, a, a particular car in one direction. And suddenly the McLaren was a particular car in the opposite direction. And I went into McLaren telling the McLaren guys, guys, this, the cars are completely different. I don't know how to drive this car. And I did the test in Abu Dhabi and I said, I need to reset everything. And, uh, and I went into my first year in McLaren having to reset all my references and all my, my way of driving. And I remember telling Daniel a couple of times, look, the cars do feel really, really different. And, and yeah, it, it's it's proved to be the truth that in Formula One you can find completely different balances, completely different driving styles, and you just have to keep adapting and keep absorbing all the information to to be an adaptable driver. While we're talking driving styles, what is your greatest strength? Do you think? I can tell you what I like. If it's my strength or not, I think it's others to judge. I prefer a car that understeers than a car that oversteers. Why? Because my driving is really aggressive when, I, when I'm out on track. I know everyone calls me smooth operator, but I... I was about to say that. The biggest can, misnomer ever. Yeah, He's I not can, actually smooth. <laughs> I can make a car rotate. Like, I turn the car myself with the steering wheel, with the pedals. I know how to make a car turn, let's say. So you give me an understeer car, don't worry, I'll make it turn. You give me an oversteer car, and all of a sudden, 
I bring that oversteer to the next level and the car on me oversteers like crazy. So I need to stabilize the car, let's say, no? And uh, the McLaren was understeering and I think probably that suited a bit my, my, my driving style and I managed to, to make it turn with the brakes and um, Ferrari is a bit more neutral, a bit more in the middle. The Renault was really oversteery. The Renault had a lot of front end and, uh, and maybe I, I struggled a bit to adapt to that, but uh, it's given me a, a great variety of, of, of cars that I've tested in, in the last few years to give me a good overall feel of where my driving is and what do I need to work on. That's interesting because with your, how can I say, rallying background, of course you've never competed, but I know you've driven a lot of rallying. I'd imagine the science household chat involved a lot of rallying back in the day. I would have thought you would have been an oversteer man. I know, but it, <laughs> if you think about it, it, it also makes sense because it means that with my style, I turn cars. No? I, let's say I, I make them turn, which is also part of an aggressive rally style. No? So you could see it both ways. But uh, yeah, I love rallying. I love uh, driving in, I drove once or twice in the snow and I loved it. It's a completely different game. Uh, rallying is, I honestly think you cannot compare. It's, it's so different to Formula One style that you cannot really compare. Right, let's talk about competitiveness this year. What sort of shape are Ferrari in? What's the mood in the camp? I think we had a, a positive first test in Barcelona, but again, in Barcelona, no one push the engine, no one push the fuel. But our first impression was positive. I think we feel like like we've done some good progress since last year. I think Bahrain is going to start telling us a bit where we are. We've seen GPS data and we are relatively happy about this GPS data that we've seen. But again, was Mercedes and Red Bull running more or less fuel than us? And you only need 10 kilos of fuel to make three or four tenths of difference. And we know in you come to Bahrain qualifying, you are three or four tenths in front or behind. It's a whole new, completely different uh, world, no? Three or four tenths in Formula One. Mm -hmm. And you just need 10 kilos out of 110 kilos tank, fuel tank, to make that three or four tenths difference. So we don't know. We don't know. It's, it's very difficult to tell. Do you think the field will be closer in, term, in lap time? So the difference between first and tenths will be closer than it has been in recent years? I thought so before going to Barcelona. Then in Barcelona, I saw quite, let's say, big-ish differences. I, I would say similar to last year, uh, where the field was covered in a couple of seconds, I think. Yeah. I well, think... the paddock jungle drums are saying that Ferrari are right there at the minute. So um, that must fill you with so much excitement. It does, but again, Suddenly here, Mercedes has brought this torpedo car with no yeah. side pods. And yeah, it's got no cooling at all. Everyone says <laughs> Red Bull has brought a big upgrade. Also, we haven't brought massive upgrades. We've, we are focusing in, in understanding this car that we brought to Barcelona. We, we think that by optimizing it and by running it in the peak of its downforce and it peaks of its performance, there is an upgrade there just by, by getting to know the car. There's a pretty big upgrade if we manage to optimize it, but we haven't brought big things. So it makes you doubt whether this massive Mercedes step that everyone's talking about, the Red Bull step, then all of a sudden Ferrari was there in Barcelona, but this 
it will not be there anymore after Bahrain test. So, or maybe yes. I don't know. It's, mm. it's, it's mm. impossible well, to tell. Fernando Alonso thinks that you're going to have a title push this year. You, good. <laughs> yeah, good. Well I done, mean, Fernando. I hope you're right. I'm sure he's done his uh, analysis and yeah. he's, uh, he's seen GPS data, probably the same data that I've seen. And he's optimistic about Ferrari the same way that I, I was telling you that we are pretty happy with what we saw. But is it enough to beat the, the two other giants or not? This is difficult, no? If the car is good enough, are you ready now? Yeah. But I've been ready for a while eh, for my for my first win, and I was having this conversation. I don't just mean first win. Actually, I'm talking. Are you ready to win the world championship? Do you yeah, feel you've got the experience? First to win the championship, you need a, a win, no, and and you need consistent podiums. And I feel like over the last few years, I've shown or I've proved to myself even that every time I had a an opportunity to score a podium, I I caught it, no, and. And even I had a chance to to win once or twice, and I nearly made it. No, so I'm I'm confident. I, I know you give me the right car, I think I can be there. I think of Gasly's win at Monza. That's the one that really sits in my mind. Is the one that Carlos Sainz. Ah, so that was that maybe. was the closest, huh? Pierre Gasly leading a Grand Prix for the first time in his career. Carlos Sainz running in the top two of a Grand Prix for the first time in his career. Carlos, your second. No mistakes. Just keep it really clinical. I want this win, Tom. On the last quarter of the lap, sliding through the Ascari chicane. It's like watching his father doing rallying. But we're watching Carlos Sainz in Formula One. He's given it absolutely everything. But up ahead, Pierre Gasly is in front. Pierre Gasly wins the Italian Grand Prix. Carlos Sainz comes home for second place and what a great fight he gave oh, what a race carlos p2 p2 i know you wanted the win but you're p2 buddy that's a really good result but you've been great all weekend yeah i don't know whether to laugh or to cry hi uh, so close but yet so far one more lap i need one more lap hi hi it's how it goes sometimes. You, you need to have the luck on your side and maybe that red flag there in the halfway through a race that I would have been on the lead without that red flag. I think no one would have passed me. Do, do you spend a lot of time looking back going, ah? Oh. Yeah, because I was genuinely the, the second fastest guy behind Hamilton that weekend. And, uh, and I was P2 the whole race. Hamilton and Mercedes did this this mistake of pitting under under the under the pit lane closed in safety car and uh, and I know that lead was mine and and that the race win was on from there and suddenly the red flag reset everything and and through it uh, made my life a lot more complicated but still made it back to nearly winning Carlos one of the many things that impresses me about you is that you are such a level character when I look you... like a level character. <laughs> Am I really a level character? <laughs> That's a question. <laughs> well, maybe behind closed doors, I don't know. But in terms of, you know, what we saw after that race at Monza, the one we're talking about, was clear disappointment, but you managed to just contain it. And equally, when a result has surprised you, there hasn't been the massive elation either. It's, 
Are you sure you're a Latino? I'm not convinced, you know. <laughs> I am. I, trust me, I am. And, and if you play tennis or paddle with me, then you will see my Latino side uh, now, paddle, kick out. Paddle is or a thing, isn't it? Or whatever, yeah. Yeah, I've just started playing paddle. It's good fun, eh? Yeah, I was really surprised by it, actually. Do you play paddle uh, with your teammate, Charles Leclerc? We did uh, last night with Lando, too. We did uh, me and Lando against, against my dad and Charles. We lost by one point, but uh, it was good fun. That sounds really fun. Is the old man... Ver still very good. He's yeah. still very good. He was Spanish squash champion. And so all the racket sports... He's nearly 60, but he still has this massive talent for racket sports. Spanish squash champion before he even sat in a car? Spanish squash champion at 16, and his first rally was when he was 18. So he even went to the UK to play squash, to leave to the UK and play professional squash. Fascinating. So he's, he's pretty good handy with a racket. Right, and are you the best current driver at paddle? Yeah, I reckon, yeah. I mean, paddle is a Spanish sport, and I've been playing paddle my my whole life, so I must be. Look, what what sort of condition are you in physically? Best shape of your life? For these cars, I have to. If you're not in the best condition, I reckon the tires are going to allow us to push a bit more this year. The cars are heavier, but they still produce a lot of downforce. So if I'm not in my best condition, then... Everything's over. <laughs> what is harder to prepare, body or mind? When I prepare my body, my mind gets ready too. Let's see how I explain this. When I am disciplined, when I go to the gym every day, I do my hour of cardio, my hour and a half of weightlifting. I wake up early. I have my breakfast. I have my diet. The, the mind comes with it. All of a sudden, you feel strong, you feel powerful, you feel disciplined, you feel ready. And, uh, and I recommend this to people a lot. It's like, are you struggling with maybe a bit of mental health, lack of self-confidence? Try waking up one day at seven, go to the gym, do your workout, come back, have your coffee uh, and go to work. See how you perform at work that day. It's completely different. It, you just feel empowered, no? And... When I'm physically ready, I'm mentally ready. This is, is, and that's, I train a lot of the days that I go training. I don't train because I need a bigger biceps or a bigger neck or a bigger chest. Or I train because I know the feeling that the training is going to give me going into a race or, or, a, or a day. And how much stronger are you, uh, than, you than back in 2015 when you came into Formula One? Because well, these things are cumulative, right? I imagine you get fitter and stronger every year that you... You're maintaining that regime. I can give you an example. My first race in Formula One, Toroso was quite tight on the weight and I had to be light as a driver. And I was 66 kilo, 66 and a half naked, 70.5 with full race team kit. So let's start, let's say 70.5, no? With full race team kit. Nowadays, I'm 74 and a half. So I've grown four kilos and a half in in these seven years, and I can tell you they are not fat. <laughs> it's not beer. It's not, it's not beer and it's not uh, fat. And that's predominantly neck? That's predominant. Obviously, the neck doesn't weigh four kilos more, no? If not, my head would fall off. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a bit of neck. It's a lot of um, uh, upper body strength. 
and quite a lot of it is also in the glutes and the legs because I've started working on them quite a lot with deadlifting and, and squats. So you're fit. Uh, you can beat Charles at paddle. How would you describe your relationship with him? I think we we have an honest, honestly good relationship away from the track, and we we are actually similar guys in terms of the the things we like to do away from the track, and it allows us to have a lot of conversations about life away from the track, and we we are genuinely having fun with each other, playing paddle, playing poker in the airplanes, chess, we play anything, we, we actually enjoy it quite a lot. And, and inside the track, we have an honest respect to each other. I really respect what Charles has done in his career and the way he drives, the way he approaches the Formula One in general. And I think that respect just gives us, that mutual respect gives us a good relationship as teammates. And, um, and yeah, we, we're both keen on keeping that going for the, for the future. How quick is he? Very quick. Because you've had some pretty <laughs> mighty teammates in your time. Very quick. Is uh, he as quick as anyone you've been up against? Yeah, for sure. But uh, also was Lando and also was Max and also was Nico. I mean... Nico Hulkenberg, in, yeah, at in Formula and, and Danny Kvyat in his day was amazing. There's no one slow in Formula 1. How can I tell you this? There's no one... Like, in Formula 1 that you would say, nah, this guy is not up for... Formula One, they are all crazy quick, and in the end, it's one tenth that makes a difference of making it a good day or a bad day to you. No, I beat Charles by one tenth, I'm happy. I, he beats me by one tenth, I'm sad. Where is one tenth in life in, in a Formula One car? It's breaking four turn one, and he's in a high speed corner that maybe you didn't go as fast as you should have. And one day it will go to you, one day it will go to me, but we are all. Very, very quick, let's say. Are you able, I love you talking about a tenth of a second like that. People who aren't racing drivers, we can't even relate to that amount of time. Can you, can you actually visualize one tenth on the racetrack? No, you can't. You, 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 we only visualize it because we have the delta lap time that is telling us in the steering wheel that is telling me I went half a tenth slower through that corner, that lap. Thanks to you, the delta lap. Can you feel time. that through the steering wheel? You you feel it in your body that maybe the car was not at its absolute limit in the middle of the corner, and you could have carried a bit more speed. You sometimes hit the brakes, and you realize, ah, I maybe I could have brake three or four meters later. What is three or four meters at three hundred and twenty kph? Is three or four meters at three hundred and twenty kph? Is that you should have blinked? Uh, a bit later, or you should have hit the pedal literally thousands of a second later, no? And what is that in real life? It's, it's, not, it's, it's crazy the, 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 what we are talking about here, no? And yeah, the, that is the difference, isn't it? It's between the great and the good. The great and the good, yeah, but... Isn't it? I, I, don't I feel it's the consistency of being able to do that every weekend that makes you the great. Because I really believe any Formula One driver in their good day is as fast as any other Formula One driver in the good day. I think we are, honestly, we are 20 really fast guys right now in Formula One, and you just need to look into their careers before Formula One, if, if you have any doubt. So it's a matter of 
who can do it in a 23 races, who can perform at that level more consistently and be always there. So how satisfying was it for you to beat Charles over the season last year? It was satisfying because obviously you always want to be ahead. Is is and anyone who says he doesn't, it's it's lying. No, you always want to be ahead, but not only in the championship, in every statistic. And I, and I'm aware he beat me in a lot of other statistics, the same way that I beat him in a pretty important one, that is the, the points, no? And you want to be ahead, and we work our ass off, sorry for that, to be ahead <laughs> in every session, in every moment of the of the weekend. And yeah, it was my first year in Ferrari, but I I managed to get there in a, in a good level and, and be there straight away since the beginning, and especially I managed to pick at the end of the year, which was when I was feeling more at home with it, with the car. And that pick at the end of the year allowed me just to, to jump him in the end. But he did a very good year too. He, he was performing at a very high level every race and he made my life extremely difficult. What do you think beating him has done for your reputation? I didn't think I needed to beat him to do good things to my reputation because... I've already been signed by Ferrari. I've already done two very good years in McLaren. But it's for me, it was a reassurance for me and to everyone that I'm that I'm here to to win and to try and be the best. And and I keep keep trying to prove that. I I, I try to do the same with Lando, with Max, with with anyone. I the fact that it was Charles is is, is uh, anecdotal, no. But this is what we are all trying to do here. Just try to prove that you're the best one and you try to be the best one. I think if you can beat Charles over a season, you can beat anyone. I want to think so. That's why I know where Charles is in in, uh, in Formula One and I think how good, I know how good he is. I have pretty good comparisons to do, to make with with Lando, with Max. And, and I know where, where he stands and yeah, I know it was a, a good year for me, 2021, for, for that reason. Exciting times ahead. Just how much more comfortable do you feel coming into your second season with the team? What, how much difference does that make? I feel like it's a great opportunity to have had a one full year with the whole team. So I know how the team works. I know everyone on the team. I know how to operate. I know how to, who do I need to chase to, to get one thing or the other. We've improved massively the race team since race one of last year with strategy, with the way we, we work together. But at the same time, on the driving side, this is a start from zero with the new cars. So all the things that I discovered last year with the Ferrari, the way to drive it, uh, the, where was the tricks of those last two tens that in the end of the year, I knew exactly where those two tens were. I knew which setup I liked from that Ferrari 2021. Then all of a sudden I don't have that anymore and I need to go and chase it again. And I need to go and find those last two tens of setup, those last two tens of driving. And that's where it gets more complicated. If it would have been a continuation from last year, the car would have been a, an evolution of last year's car. Then I think it would have been a lot easier, but it's a reset to zero on that side. And it's a reset for everybody. Exactly. So your recent experience of going through that learning process I would say helps you. It could it could help me and it could be a, an advantage. But at the same time, 
honestly, Tom, I think in Formula One, I think everyone is good on that. I think, I don't think I, I think I've, I've done well on adapting to new teams, don't get me wrong, and I think it's been a strong point of mine. But when I look at Charles, when I look at Lando, when I look at Max, I don't think they will struggle to adapt to a new car. I think we are all so talented that That's we will get point. it. You just talked about what buttons you have to press at Ferrari to get things done. Um, how different is the modus operandi here compared to other teams? Different, different. Um, different and, and, and Ferrari has its, its very strong points and, and things that we, we need to work on. But I think it's what changes the most is the culture and the way you interact with, with people and the, the culture of the team. But I also must say that all the teams in Formula One are still also co converging quite a lot in this sense. Um, we are all becoming perfectly run machines of people, you know, and we all run uh, like a spaceship, you know, when, when you go to a meeting in all the teams, everyone starts to speak a bit the same language and the same in the same way. And Formula One is reaching a level that if you are not at that level, then you, you are not Formula One. And, and I think it's, it's super interesting to, to see this across all the teams. Well, the designs converge, so why shouldn't they operationally as well? Exactly. I wanted to mean operationally, all the teams also are converging yeah. quite a lot. Has being at Ferrari changed your view on Formula One as a whole? Do you feel you understand the bigger picture better now that you've been with the, the oldest, most historic team on the grid? I understand better the bigger picture of what it means to be a Ferrari driver and what it's like to have all the tifosi behind you in every country you go to. And this is, this they've tried to explain to me before a thousand times and I tried to understand, but I never really understood. And now that I've experienced driving at Monza for Ferrari. But you've experienced adulation before at the Spanish Grand Prix and other places. Is this different though? The it is Tif different. It is different because the, the Tifosi are so passionate and so crazy about Formula One and, and the team. That is something I've never lived before. I've seen people being crazy about me in Spain, but you can see that they are crazy about something bigger than you. It's, it's you are in charge of making this whole brand, this whole country proud, not, not yourself or not as the fans. You're in charge of bringing the Cavalino to the top. It's, it's like playing for a national team. It's, you're representing Italy when you are driving for Ferrari. So it's something bigger than, than yourself. You know, it's something bigger than, I'm trying to explain it the best I can. It's, do you, get to mobbed? To do you get mobbed at the airport, for example? Yeah, and I go to Bologna airport nearly every week and people recognize me. Nowadays, I, I wear a cap and a mask and, and I start to know the tricks to don't get recognized too much. But uh, yes, you, you still do. Come, but and you the get... problem is when they recognize you, <laughs> they get so nervous. Nervous? And, but you cannot imagine. There's people shaking with their hand. They shake. They don't know how to put turn the camera around and they take a picture of something in front of you instead of something instead of yourself and and they get really nervous they they shake and it's crazy it's crazy man that is crazy isn't it what has surprised you about ferrari it surprised me the 
the good atmosphere that you live in. I mean, I'm living in a in a team that feels again like a family. Everyone talked to me about the pressure of being in Ferrari and all that. Look, in the end, we're all human beings and we're all enjoying being part of Formula One. Yes, there's a huge responsibility driving for this team, but we are still a group of engineers, drivers, mechanics that we are still getting on well we, between each other and we form this team. And I thought that this in Ferrari maybe was not possible because of the pressure and the responsibility, but it's, if anything, is the opposite and you feel, you feel it in the same way. Nigel Mansell once told me that Ferrari looked after him better than any other team he raced for. Have you found that? Yeah. <laughs> this is... There's a, a particular department that maybe if they listen to this, they like it. the logistics guys, that they take care of our traveling, our clothes that goes everywhere. It's incredible the way that they take care of us. It's, we so, have so it is different. Everything perfectly folded everywhere we go, the, the suit, the boots perfectly. It's, everything is perfect. It's, and you, they take care of you amazing, yeah. And I guess... You get a decent company car here as well, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Everywhere we travel to, we we have a Ferrari, except maybe a couple of races we have Alphas or or Maserati. But uh, I would say eighty percent of the races we get a Ferrari, which is pretty good. What's your everyday car? I have a Alfa Romeo Quadrifoglio. It's five hundred and ten nice. horsepower. Yeah, yeah. It's the big one. It's yeah, it's beautiful. Pretty good. It's, uh, SUV, which I go a lot to the countryside and it, it does me well. I'm buying a new Ferrari now. It's my first car that I buy. You get, tell me you get a deal. Uh, you might get a bit of a deal, but <laughs> not a lot. Eh? It's, <laughs> it is, uh, not as much as people think, let's say. Uh, well, look, Carlos, with memories of, of you disappearing off in your new Ferrari, we probably ought to bring this to an end. Thank you so much for your time. Dare we even talk about expectations? If you and I were to sit down at the end of the season, what would satisfy you in terms of results? Well, it's difficult to tell right now, but I'd like to get a win. And then the rest, let's see. But, you know, I keep chasing the, the, my dream in, that in Formula 1, that is to win first race. Obviously, then a championship. But to win a championship, you need to win a race. So... I will keep chasing that. I'm not saying it will happen, but it's what I wake up every morning or what I go to sleep with in my, my head every day. So I wish it can happen. Win a race and the rest will take care of itself. Thank you very much. I hope so. Carlos is one of the drivers on the grid that I enjoy talking to the most because he speaks so much sense. I loved hearing his thoughts on the new cars and about the challenge of driving them on the limit and, of course, how he's now fully integrated into the Scuderia. I'm sure I'm not alone in hoping that the F175 is genuinely fast this year and Carlos can show the world just how good he is. In the meantime, I'm going to start going to the gym at 7am. I'd love to hear what you thought of that chat with Carlos or any stories that you might have about him. Maybe you're one of the nervous, shaking fans who stopped him for a selfie at Bologna Airport. Send them to me on Twitter. I'm at Tom Clarkson F1 and use the hashtag F1 Beyond the Grid. Please follow and rate the podcast and tell a friend about it so they can listen too. 
Actually, speaking of telling friends about great podcasts to listen to, you should check out the latest episode of the F1 Nation podcast that I do with Damon Hill and Natalie Pinkham. It's a Bahrain Grand Prix preview this week, and it's out now. Just search your podcast app for F1 Nation. We'll be releasing new episodes of Beyond the Grid every Wednesday during the Formula One season, so I'll be back next week with another unmissable conversation. Thanks for listening. F1 Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 and Audio Boom Studios.